Hello, everyone, and a very happy new year to you all. After a short break for Christmas, the debrief is back. Well, the transfer window is open. So where else are you going to go for all the news about the big names making their way across Europe and the rest of the world than here with us? We are truly global today. As ever, the transfer guru Fabrizio Romano is with us. The hot news from Italy is that Fab didn't get a new phone for Christmas. As ever, I'm pleased to say that Ben Jacobs is with me. And as you may be able to see, even though Ben got plenty of presents for Christmas, a new jumper wasn't one of them. How do you know? Maybe I got the same jumper for Christmas. Maybe my entire closet is full of only this festive jumper. The thing is, Angus, look at Tom looking majestic and colorful as ever. You just didn't get the memo that you had to dress brightly for the first show of the year. (laughs) No, I certainly got missed out of that one. Yours sort of reminds me of a slightly random Crystal Palace away kit. Um, (laughs) But but it is as much a part of the show as you are, Ben. And uh, Happy New Year to you. Uh, another gift year. for you uh, is the ITV Sport and Talk Sport commentator, Sam Matterface, who will be with us later. And he has very interesting thoughts on Brighton, England, and the best summer signing of last year. And as uh, Ben has alluded, our final present is stateside. It's a big Happy New Year and a very warm welcome back to the debrief for the Athletics' Tom Boger. Tom, how are you? What's going on, fellas? I'm I'm pretty good. Like I said, feeling feeling colorful, feeling feeling good. Again, I don't have quite quite the same nice wool sweater that Ben has on, but uh, <laughs> but you know, we went for the tracksuit. We went for the New Jersey look. Hey, the New Jersey look is good with us because it beats the Crystal Palace strip. Anyway, <laughs> let's get down. Let's get down to business. Look, the window is open. The talk of the town or London town is uh, Radu Dragosin to Spurs. Ben, it seems that this one is some way down the line already. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Tottenham's priority for the window is a centre-back and we know the horrific injury list at the moment at the club. So Ange Postacoglu wants to move very quickly and this is why the Romanian has become a priority. They actually would have loved to try and proceed with Jean-Claire Todibo at Nice. But Nice's position is not for sale and you would expect that mid-season because they're second in league on at the moment. And only something in the region of 50 million quid or 60 million euros was going to change that. So Dragosin has become a priority and Postacoglu is playing a big role in this one. And the player's already given the green light. So this is really now just about can a fee be agreed? And you might see some reports out there saying that Genoa are looking for something in the region of 30 million euros. But my understanding is that the price might come down a little bit. As I reported a few days ago, Spurs were looking somewhere around the 17 to 20 million pound mark. So that's pushing 25 million euros, I suppose, at the top end. And there's a feeling now that although the parties are maybe three or four million euros apart, I realise that I'm changing currencies all the time here. So sorry if I'm giving you an early headache in 2024. But there's only a few million between the parties in negotiations. And although structure will be important as well, there's a real, real possibility that this one gets done in the next 48 hours or so. Okay, well, let's stay with Spurs while we're we're on um, the North London Club. Uh, for you, Tom, there's clearly interest uh, stateside in Hugo Lloris, who's who's left North London for uh, Los Angeles. Not a bad swap. Yeah, that one was uh, very surprising. Honestly, I guess it, it's more aligned with the 
Giorgio Chiellini and, and Gareth Bale deals, um, mm-hmm. LAFC hadn't done much of this where they were going for these big name, you know, legendary kind of players in the past until Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini last year. And now they're continuing without Hugo Lloris. What's interesting is that he's only making about 350,000 US next year. That would put him as like the 28th highest paid goalkeeper in MLS if everybody has the same salary from last year, which is just pretty mental. Honestly, everybody I spoke with has reached out to me from other clubs being like, how, like what the hell? Like that's not a deal that that we can get. LAFC have have the leverage of, of Los Angeles and, and clearly uh, Tottenham are paying out a bit or uh, I'd imagine whatever is left of his salary of his deal that was set to expire this summer. So obviously money isn't a factor here for Hugo Lloris. Um, very curious to see how he does. He's going to fit this kind of team very well. Their starting goalkeeper the last two years is a Canadian international by the name of Maxime Crepeau. He's out of contract. Um, his market value, like in free agency, like he'll probably get seven or 800,000 if he, if he does stay in MLS. Like it's crazy that LAFC are signing Hugo Lloris and he's going to be probably half as expensive as, as their starting goalie. who's very good. And, and it's just, I don't know. I, it, I've gotten a lot of texts and a lot of calls from people across the league being like, how the hell is it so cheap? Tom, yeah, just I, briefly, whilst we're on, on the right. goalkeeper front and sorry Angus to interrupt I'm just keen to get Tom's view on keepers because I think they're underloved within the market and we've started with the tone of keepers with Loris and Tom a story that you broke was Jordi Petrovic to Chelsea and I'm interested just to know your thoughts because he suddenly got game time because Robert Sanchez is injured are you surprised by how quickly he's taken to the Premier League or were all the signs always there that he could step up when required, even if earlier than expected? Yeah. So just, for, I mean, for me, I'm going to sound biased because I was used to watching him every single week. And, and, and so I, I truly believe that he was going to be able to come to Chelsea. I didn't think that he was going to start right away. And, and of course he got the opportunity because Sanchez got injured, but sources that I talked to throughout this deal, it was like, we truly believe that he's going to have a chance to, to start at Chelsea. Like we're not just doing this for him to be a backup. Um, there was offers from Nottingham Forest announced before that, where he would have absolutely been the starter. Um, and then when Chelsea came in, it, it was like, you know, this isn't, this isn't just for him to sit on the bench. Like may, maybe it'll take a little while for him to get his chance, but he's going to get a chance and he'll have half the chance to play. Um, his shot stopping is elite. He's, you know, ball playing isn't, you know, the best, that's not his calling card. I mean, I don't think it, it, it's necessary. It wasn't a weakness in MLS. Maybe maybe it kind of will be in the higher level with the Premier League. But again, his shot stopping is elite. That that metric kind of really, really exports well. That's something that, that travels well from, from league to league. It was the same thing with Matt Turner, though he's not been very good at, at Nottingham Forest, but he came from New England as well. But yeah, Georgie Petrovic, like, the, like, again, a lot of people I talked to was like, you know, if he does get this move to one of these European clubs, and particularly Chelsea, that like, He's going to be on Serbia's uh, Euros squad. And it's like, if he's playing in Europe, like he should be the starter for like at the Euros. So like, again, it, it, I don't want to suggest that this is all expected because that, that'd probably be unfair. That'd be taking away from the accomplishment. But um, again, a lot of people that were involved in this deal, like truly believe that this was a realistic possibility. Remember, we want to hear from you. Do um, put your questions in the comments so that we can ask some of the guys uh, who are on the show today anything that you want to know about the transfer market at the moment. Now that it is up and running, we will hear from Fabrizio Romano very, very shortly and Sam Matterface, as well as Tom and Ben here with me today. Um, Another thing for you, Tom, new DC United boss is going to be announced soon. Now, okay, the irony of this is that Wayne Rooney's free now. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so Wayne Wayne Rooney lasted what fifteen matches at Birmingham City. Um, yeah, yeah his. I'll, I'll start by a little defensive Wayne Rooney that like he did fine with DC United over a year and a half. You know the record wasn't great; he didn't make the playoffs. But DC United has been a bit of a train wreck. Um, they gave him, I think, a little bit too much power in terms of of player signings that that weren't always you know so great. That roster was kind of bloated with a lot of overpaid veterans like for some reason they let Wayne Rudy sign Ravel Morrison don't know why uh, he was bought out pretty quickly because of all of the stories that came from him not fitting not caring the stuff and then you know they people have said he's a good he's a good person genuinely I did hear nice things about him except for you know professionalism on the training field and then that's why he was just kind of let go from the squad but again that was a Wayne Rudy signing so DC uh, he left at the end of the season he was open to staying uh, but DC needed to hire a new sporting director and they hadn't done that yet. And they weren't going to trigger his contract extension until they hired a new sporting director who could make the decision on Rooney or the next manager. So while they were waiting to hire the, the new sporting director, Rooney ends up going to Birmingham city. The new sporting director takes over, leads this coaching search um, and he finalizing a deal with Troy Lazane, who was the head coach of the New York Red Bulls this year. Um, and his contract wasn't renewed. So he's going to be the DC United head coach. They were also, in talks with Dome Torrent, the former Manchester City assistant, the former NYCFC um, and, and elsewhere head coach, uh, but they were not close on salary or Dome probably would have been the head coach. And then former El Salvador manager Hugo Perez was was another finalist. Uh, but Troy Lazane, uh, former New York Red Bulls head coach, is is, is succeeding Wayne Rooney in, in at DC United. And, and now, again, like you said, Wayne, Wayne's available again. Yeah, but Tom, would Wayne be welcome back in the States or or not, do you think? I think he'd be welcome, but I don't. I don't know why somebody would would look at his eighteen months at DC United and think like, yeah, we we need to hire him. Um, right now, there was about ten teams that changed their manager of the twenty nine over the last year. Almost all of those jobs are filled right now. There, there's you know Montreal, which is an absolute dumpster fire. Um, Minnesota United are starting their season with an interim head coach, which is baffling to me. Um, and so those are kind of the only jobs that are open right now. And I, I don't see Wayne Rooney being a fit for either. Uh, ben, who do you see as a succeeder, uh, a successor, I should say, to uh, <laughs> Wayne Rooney? at? Um, he, hopefully he will succeed for Birmingham, Birmingham fans. <laughs> who would you see as a successor to Wayne Rooney at St. Andrews? Well, it's funny because when this story broke and Rooney was sacked, I was out in the countryside in the middle of nowhere with no reception walking the dog and then I suddenly arrived back to reception in a nice little country pub and my phone exploded and I made some calls and the first thing from talking to sources is that John Eustace who's a little bit distant I suppose in terms of the odds and the likely candidates is open to a return and Birmingham were sixth in the table when he departed and Wayne Rooney has left Birmingham 20th in the table. So clearly that decline and only two wins in 15 is a disaster for Birmingham. They've got this kind of new Tom Brady endorsed project. He's part of the club and Gary Cook, the former Manchester City executive, and he was a big part as well of the Saudi Pro League has come in. So the ambition is there and the strategy is there, but Rooney was the wrong choice. And my understanding is they want a safer pair of hands with championship knowledge. So Bringing back Eustace would actually be very popular, but I'm not so sure that he's the favourite. There's a lot of talk about Steve Cooper. Um, my understanding is that he would be Birmingham City's top choice, but Cooper's not going to be short of options. And it's only my personal view. I'd be surprised if he doesn't bide his time and may wait for a Premier League gig. Jesse Marsh 
is one to watch. I'd be interested to know Tom's thoughts on that one, but he's certainly in the mix. The safest pair of hands or the most experienced name is Tony Mowbray. Again, I would classify him as a little bit more distant. I sense what Birmingham will do is they'll find out whether Cooper would ever entertain it. They may well get a no on that, but let's wait and see. And then Jesse Marsh could come into the frame potentially Mowbray, maybe they crawl back to Eustace. I don't think there'd be a backlash from the Birmingham fans. I think that if there's a contrition and an acceptance that sacking him was the wrong call and he was to be open to a return, then that would go down well. And Will still can't be discounted, but he's very happy in his current job as well. And at the moment, those are the main candidates that I'm aware of. I tell you what, I mean, it's a hell of a turnaround if they go and say, right, Gary, you know, you, you can, uh, John Eustace, you can, you can go back in. I think you know uh, mm. that's that's I uh, do 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 uh new owners of a club ever admit they were wrong and go do you know what we'll go back and do this I mean that's that's like putting Liz Truss back in charge at number 10 I hey, mean Nigel great. Pearson came back to Leicester well he did you maybe shouldn't never go back but so soon um and in fact Nigel Pearson's free so maybe his name should be uh, in in the mix um I, just before we, we're going to hear from Fabrizio Romano in, in just a moment, he's going to come and join us. Um, Tom, I want to throw something. We're getting plenty of questions in. Um, and one of them is about Chicago Fire. What news uh, up there? Yeah, Chicago Fire are continuing, you know, their, their, over, their rebuild this, this offseason. Yet another rebuild. Frank Lopez has been named uh, full-time manager. Uh, the front office came back despite missing the playoffs each of the last four years um, and not and generally kind of missing on a bunch of signings. So they'll kind of go again this, this winter. I know that they've been interested in, in several kind of big free agents around MLS. I've heard that they're kind of big into the intra-league market this offseason. They definitely wanted to sign Georgi Mihailovic from AZ Alkmaar. He's a former academy product of the club. They traded him to Montreal and then he excelled there before he went to Europe. Um, that's not going to happen from what I've been told as, as Georgie is, is kind of headed back to the United States this week. Um, I'm hoping to have some more information on that either later today or in the near future, uh, but it will not be Chicago from what I've been told. They, they will be looking to add a, a big center forward and a big winger. Um, I'd imagine that they're definitely going to be looking to offload Jairo Torres, who hasn't worked out, maybe Jaredon Shakiri, um, but I'm not sure who the takers would be for Jaredon Shakiri. So I'd, guess that he's going to stay but they definitely want to add a designated player center forward and a designated player winger which just means that they can pay whatever the hell they want for these two players fantastic stuff tom have a pause there and uh, ben have a breather we've got to get over to fabrizio who we caught up with just a little bit earlier find out how his new year was what's what was in his christmas stocking and also to find out all the decent transfer news Fab, happy new year to you. Great to have you back. We've Hello. had a little break. We've had a little breather. Now comes the busy time. Let's get let's get going straight away. Victor Osiman, is anything possible in January? Everything is possible in life, but I don't think Victor Osiman deal will happen in January at all. I think it's 99% no. Uh, then, uh, honestly, after what happened with Enzo Fernandez last year, anything is really possible. But again, in that case, there was a disclosure. In this case, the disclosure is on a different topic. It's something for the summer. It's not something for January. So I don't see Victor Osimhen leaving Napoli in January. And I think the contract extension was part of the project between Osimhen and Napoli to continue together till the end of the season to help Napoli get in Champions League next season and then probably to leave in the summer transfer window. Uh, and what about anyone pre-agreeing a deal with Osimhen? Is that possible? Chelsea, potentially. 
I think more than pre-agreeing deal with Ozyman, I think it could be important to uh, try to agree something on the player side in terms of personal terms. So to try to get a green light from the player. This could be the mission for January. I don't think it's going to be easy. Yeah? So uh, I don't think it's guaranteed that Victor Ozyman will decide his, his future in the January transfer window. Also because clubs can approach him, clubs can present him a project, but we know that in football, six months are like six years in other sports. Everything can change from the manager to the directors uh, at any club in the world. And so this is why he's not guaranteed at all from what I'm hearing also people close to Victor Osiman that he will decide his future in January. I think he will take some time and I think it's not going to be that easy to, to reach an agreement with Osiman in January. And with Napoli, I think it's really unlikely uh, knowing how Napoli works, how the president Aurelio Laurentiis works to reach an agreement now for the summer. I think it's something that we will discuss as a saga in the next months in 2024. Well, let's stay with Chelsea just for a minute. Do you think it's more likely that Conor Gallagher will stay at Stamford Bridge? I think yes, in this moment, yes. I think it's a possibility for him probably to leave in the summer transfer window in case they can't agree on new deal. So in that case, uh, I think it's a serious possibility, obviously, for Gallagher to leave in the summer transfer window. For January, it has to happen that someone has to go there and put big money on the table. I saw some reports of 30, 40 millions. I don't see Chelsea selling the player for that money. So I think that they would rather wait for the, for the summer transfer window in a similar situation to what happened with Mason Mount last uh, last summer. So if he doesn't want to agree on a new deal with Chelsea, he can be free to leave, but at Chelsea conditions now or at Chelsea conditions in the summer. I think this is the, the situation. So the contract talks remain active, but it's not something close at this point. Uh, and on Tottenham, we had reports of talks between Tottenham and Chelsea in the recent days. From what I'm told, there are no conversations, no negotiations at this stage. The interest of Tottenham is there since last summer. We know Tottenham really like Conor Gallagher. I'm told Ange Postecoglou is a big fan of the player since long time. So they like Conor Gallagher, but they are not negotiating to sign Gallagher now. Fabrizio, Happy New Year. Let's talk about Ivan Tony. An equally difficult deal to get done in January. What kind of price do you understand that Brentford wants? And even though we hear of this Arsenal admiration, some link him with Chelsea as well, because Mbwemo is injured and Wissa is at the African Cup of Nations, does that make it more likely that Tony will stay this window? I think there is a chance, a very good chance for Tony to stay at Brentford, honestly. Uh, this is the feeling. It's only in case they receive a really important proposal, this could change. Uh, this started from, it was October, end of October, beginning of November, from something around 60, 65 million pounds. But then Brentford understood that there were no other strikers basically available on the market. I mean, top strikers available on the market for top Premier League clubs. And so the idea of Brentford is, I think, even higher than this. It could be something around 90, 100 million pounds for Ivan Tony in January. So I don't think it's going to be easy to go there and negotiate for him. So in case something wants to be created, maybe to negotiate a loan deal, but there has to be a negotiation for an obligation to buy. So a guaranteed sale of Ivan Toni and that's to be for a big amount of money. Otherwise, I think he's going to stay at the club and probably leave in the summer transfer window because the idea of the player remains to leave. The idea of the player remains to try a top club experience, but he's not in a rush to leave now. Could be also in the summer transfer window. Let's move on to Manchester United. Jadon Sancho in a return to Dortmund seems to be gathering pace. What's the latest? The negotiation is going very well and it's going very fast because it's Jadon Sancho who's pushing. Uh, so he spent obviously difficult months at Manchester United uh, from September to, to the recent days because it's complicated to be out of the squad. So he wants to go. He had this opportunity with Juventus in November, but in that case, Juventus were not prepared to pay a big amount of money in terms of loan fee and also salary coverage for a player who's then going to leave the club probably 
in the summer transfer window. So Juve decide to invest that money on a different kind of, of project and players. And, uh, and for Borussia Dortmund, it's different. Borussia Dortmund need a player to make an impact now. Borussia Dortmund want to back the manager Terzic after difficult, difficult weeks at the club. And so Jadon Sancho is the player they want and Jadon Sancho wants to go to Borussia Dortmund. He sent a very clear message firstly to Dortmund and then also to May United. He's telling May United that he wants to go there and he wants to go as soon as possible in the next couple of days. He doesn't want to go at the end of the January transfer window. So important hours, important days. The negotiation continue now on loan fee and on salary coverage. Uh, let's see what's going to happen in the next days and hours, but for sure the conversation is there and I think there is a very good chance to see Jadon Sancho returning to, to Borussia Dortmund. Uh, and what about um, uh, Radu Dragosin to Spurs? Is that uh, a possibility for the um, Genoa uh, player, the, the Romanian, to, to move to Tottenham Hotspur? I think more than a possibility. Uh, I, th- I think this deal is, is advancing well, uh, it's progressing, it's not done yet, but it's progressing. There is a constant contact between Genoa and Tottenham. The conversation is very positive from what I'm hearing. Radu Dragosin already said yes to the contract proposal some days ago. Andre Postecoglou said yes to Radu Dragosin because we know that the top target there was Jean-Claude Todibault, but Nice at the moment are not opening to selling the player in January. They are not so convinced by Tottenham approach. So from what I'm hearing between Todibault and Tottenham, everything has basically collapse it now. Uh, and Dragusin is the main option, is the player that Ange Postecoglou wants. So the conversation is very positive. Genoa wants something around 30 million euros. They started from 35, now they're around 30 million euros price tag. And Tottenham are offering around 23 million euros. This is a verbal conversation, not an official bid at the moment. But it's a positive contact. The relationship between the two clubs is very good. So I think there is a good chance for Tottenham to, to bring in Dragusin in the next days. Fabrizio, the Saudi market may be a bit quieter this January, but there's a feeling multiple clubs are looking at West Ham's Nayef Agard. You gave an update very recently. What more can you tell us about the possibility of him moving? Yeah, there is interest from Saudi. There was already interest uh, at the end of the Saudi summer transfer window, at the beginning of September. Some Saudi club approached West Ham for a guard. I remember it was before, for example, uh, Luis Felipe joined uh, Saudis. And there was a possibility to go for a guard. Then uh, West Ham said no. And again, now there is interest from Saudi. From what I'm hearing, the only way for West Ham is to find a top replacement and to make a permanent transfer, not a loan, because, for example, Milan and Roma in the recent weeks tried to approach West Ham over loan deal with buy option, and from West Ham it was a no, only permanent transfer or nothing. So it's not that easy. Uh, Aguerd is very happy in Premier League, from what I'm hearing. He's not desperate to leave. It's not just about money. He's very happy about being in a very competitive league, probably the best in the world, like Premier League. And so this is why uh, Aguerd at the moment is not desperate to leave, but the interest in, is there, and so let's see what's going to happen. Fabrizio, is there any update on Kylian Mbappe? Not yet, not yet. But obviously now we enter into important months. Mbappé is free to sign with any club, so the situation is quite open now. Paris Saint-Germain are waiting for his communications and they keep hoping uh, for Kylian Mbappé to extend his contract and sign a new deal at Paris Saint-Germain, but at the moment it's not guaranteed at all. Real Madrid keep working on that behind the scenes, for sure. We know it's not a secret since long time. So let's see, it's Mbappé now. From his camp at the moment is total silence. They are taking their time. They are discussing internally with his mother, uh, with people close to his father too, with his lawyers. So they're working on it. Let's see what's going to happen, but I think it's not that guaranteed that Kylian Mbappé will decide his future, for example, these or next week. I saw something about deadlines. I'm not sure there is a deadline and I think Mbappé will take his time before deciding. And Fabrizio, just finally, the question I think I've always wanted to ask you during the window, what time are you getting up? What time are you going to bed? And are you still only on the one phone? To do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only one. Only one phone is fine for me. Yes. And uh, and I try to go to sleep around 
4 a.m. in the morning, 4, 4.30, could be 5 sometimes, and I wake up around 9, uh, Italy time, eh? so 9, 9.30. So four hours are fine. It's okay. <laughs> a month of four hours clip every night. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, Fabrizio, and you still have time to talk to us. So we are uh, forever <laughs> grateful. And, and he's still looking to... good as well. I There's know, exactly. Exactly. Good, how could... That man never looks tired, still Thank looks you. Good looking, suave and Italian every time we see him. How does he how does he do it? Fabrizio, thanks very much indeed. Ciao ciao. Thank we'll you, see guys. you next week. See you. Thank you. All ciao, right. ciao, ciao. Happy New Year. Happy and New Year. He's a machine. It's unbelievable <laughs> what he does. Tom, how many phones have you got? <laughs> I just have the one like him. I prefer it that way. I do want to get a, like a flip phone to just like kind of maybe for friends and, and stuff just to like when I want to leave the house and try to leave my phone behind. What I'm more impressed by is the four hours of sleep. That's yeah. that's mental. And particularly with how much you're, he's looking at his phone and technology, how is his eyeballs not kind of like drooled out of his head? Good for him. <laughs> ben, you're, you've got two or three phones, I think. You have a you have a gambling phone. You have uh... <laughs> <laughs> a burner phone. And that has one phone yeah. number. It goes right to a bookie. My direct line to the owner's phone. No, yeah. I've got three screens, if you include the laptop as well, and then two standing screens. So I've got like a publishing screen, and then I've got a second screen, which I watch things on. And then I've got the laptop, which is more versatile. And then I've got two phones, plus my like close friends and family phone, of which obviously you've both got the number. But no, I use two working phones, my work phone, and then my regular phone, which is technically my personal phone. And you know why I've got two? Because I suppose others do it different ways. But I have a lot of alerts now as well. So I'm aware of things like official announcements. And when I switch off, which is very rare during the window, I can't deal with watching a movie or having dinner and just alert, 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 yep. alert. So I put that on the work phone. And then when I switch off, I know that if the personal phone pings, it's only going to be you, Angus, asking me for a cup of tea, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, dear, well, um, yeah, I will continue to carry on doing that. You do make a very good cup of tea, actually, Ben. Um, <laughs> look, let, let's get back to transfer business. Um, what about uh, Mbappe? He was talking about Mbappe then. Look, what, what's going to happen, Ben? Um, look, seemingly, look, it's Real Madrid. It's just it, it's when when the deal comes through and we're all told about it. Well, I think there's two options. One is that, as you outline, and it would be for the summer. It won't be mid-season, especially because PSG is still in the Champions League. The other option is he extends. And there's definitely more optimism now than a few months ago that he might extend. And extension could be until 2025 or beyond, or it could be an extension, in inverted commas, to be sold. And what that means is that there would be some kind of clause allowing for a reasonable sale and forcing Real Madrid to pay a price to PSG. And people say, why will Mbappe agree to that? And it's a good question. Maybe out of some kind of loyalty, if we're being very idealistic to PSG, because he always told Nasser Al-Khalifi in private conversations he wouldn't go on a free transfer. But also from Real's point of view, it doesn't make a great deal of difference because if there was a clause and Real paid the fee, then in likelihood, Kylian Mbappe would receive less. If he leaves on a free for Real, people will naturally assume that that is somehow cheaper 
but it isn't. Free transfers are never free because Mbappe knows his worth. So we'll ask in likelihood for more, whether it's a sign-on fee, whether it's more wages, whether it's more beneficial bonuses, whether it's agent fees, a free is never free. And when you think about the transfer cost, Rail are always going to have to pay a large amount of money. The question is whether that money goes to Real Madrid or to Mbappe or somehow a mixture of both. But the key thing I want to reiterate, along with, by the way, saying many of the Premier League links are being downplayed by the clubs, is that PSG are legally covered from a financial point of view for every eventuality. So the reason why there's a calmness, the reason why there's no acrimony is because now if Mbappe was to just go on a free, then he has agreed to binding financial commitments, which mean that he will repay PSG money or he will not take money that would have been owed to him roughly to the tune of a transfer fee. So PSG are confident that the club will not be in financial ruin if he walks out the door on a free transfer. And that's why I think everyone's just saying they're focused on the season. And Mbappe might not decide his future in January. Fabrizio is right, as per my understanding, that there isn't this deadline to give Real or anyone else an answer right now. Mbappe might wait and see how do they fare in the Champions League? How does the second half of the season go? And then decide what he wants to do. So I think it's probably stay at PSG or go to Real Madrid as the two most likely options. But we might have to be a little bit patient and wait a few more weeks or months to see how this one plays out. Okay, what about one of his his former teammates, Lionel Messi, um, Tom? Now, uh, there's so many questions we could ask uh, about him, but take me through this this rather bizarre announcement that that the Saudis came out with um saying that it's uh, what do they what do they describe it as a the last dance the last in dance. Riyadh yeah. yeah that's it very americanized so was, yeah exactly so <laughs> so that was going to happen then into miami say hey no this is not happening and then well it seems to be it seems to be on in in some shape or form but trying to explain it to to everyone and what was behind all that yeah that that was pretty wild because it, it wasn't just like sources telling you no this isn't done right they would like inter miami put out an official club statement that there's been nothing like whatever like they they didn't just like pour cold water on it they like doused it with a fire hose right like it was it was really odd and it's just like talking to people and like i don't know ben ben and i had spoke about this kind of privately it, it was just like like but oh like people in in, in saudi are, are, are insisting that this is real or whatever it's like this is this is odd and i was like yeah that's it was weird how strongly miami came out and then it was two weeks later miami and, and, and saudi clubs announced that this was indeed happening the interesting part for me is obviously miami are trying to cash in and maximize their investment in Lionel messi it makes sense same thing with mls same thing with apple same thing with adidas all that they are going on a very extensive preseason tour. This is not something that MLS clubs have do often, and it's not something American clubs have done really a little bit with David Beckham with the Galaxy, um, and really, but really haven't since you know Pele with the New York Cosmos in a league that folded when Pele left. Um, MLS won't be in trouble like that whenever Messi does retire and does leave, um, but that's still kind of an interesting kind of subplot. But what's difficult is they're going to Hong Kong, Japan, Saudi Arabia, El Salvador, and I believe a preseason tournament somewhere in America. That's a lot of miles to put on this aging team. Again, when the core of the team is a couple of 34, 35, 36-year-olds. Um, and then they play in the CONCACAF version of the Champions League, the CONCACAF Champions Cup, 
That starts a week before the MLS season. Miami play the first game of the MLS season, the Wednesday before the season is due to start, so in February. So they're racking up all of these miles for preseason tournaments, and I understand the point to cash in to play this very lucrative game in, in Saudi Arabia for Messi to play Ronaldo again. It's going to be very beneficial, but at what point do these miles add up? At what point is there going to be a game that Lino Messi, Sergio Busquets, and Jordi Alba maybe in March sit out because they've been traveling too much in, in February and January. So it's definitely a little bit of a difficult balance to hit for into Miami and MLS clubs of like, all right, how much of this is for commerce and how much of, you know, competitive balance are, are you striking here? Well, keep your questions uh, coming in, but is, is one I wanted to ask you, Tom, um, from kick a ball pod, uh, Dybala to LAFC. Is that a possibility? That's nothing, nothing that I've heard of, but uh, when, when we get off today, I'll, I'll start asking questions. Um, <laughs> the, the the biggest name that, again, it, it's not any any breaking news here. The biggest name that, that's likely to come to MLS in the next year or two or whatever is Antoine Griezmann. Um, he's talked about it anytime he's been asked about it right over the last few years. Like Suarez was similar about talking about wanting to join Messi. And now obviously that's official. And Luis Suarez is that it's Miami. Paul Dybala is somebody that he fits kind of a more, the new profile of, of a big player in MLS. Like, Steven Gerrard, my favorite player of all time, he came to the LA Galaxy. He he was not worth it at that stage. He was definitely kind of washed up. Frank Lampard played well, but he was probably at a later stage of his career. Andre Pirlo wasn't even playing at the end of his days at NYCFC because that's kind of where he was at. Paolo de Ball is at, at, at kind of the end of his prime. He's in his prime. I've, I've heard the LA Galaxy were interested in Alvaro Morata, still starting for the Spanish national team. This is the new kind of big money profile that MLS teams are trying to get rather than, say, Andres Iniesta when he's 39, right? Or, or you know, somebody who's who's definitely on the other side of of their peak and and far away from their peak. So, Paulo Dybala is definitely a profile that would make sense. And LAFC is an ambitious type of club who would be able to pull off that kind of signing, both in terms of finances and in terms of reputation. Uh, of course, it's got a battle on its hands, Ben, um, because Saudis have, have come into the market. You've always said that you expect it to be a quieter January transfer window in Saudi Arabia, uh, but maybe some of those names. Could be potentially out in out there uh, during January. Yeah, I think that January is difficult because what people don't understand, even the big PIF controlled clubs, each has a budget, and that budget is seasonal. So although there's 17 billion English pounds allocated for Saudi Pro League spend between now and 2030, it's divided by season. And once you've hit your seasonal budget, because the money is centralized from the Ministry of Sport to try and give some kind of equality to all of the teams, there has to be exceptional circumstances to get more budget. And many of the clubs have spent their budget and in addition to that, have full foreign quotas. Now, as I reported, and it's been confirmed a few days ago as official, the Saudi Pro League have increased their foreign quota from next season to 10. And it's an eight plus two rule, eight in the squad for a match day, but 10 allowed to be signed on the roster. So that might mean in summer we see more foreign signings. But I think that a lot of the Saudi clubs are going to explore the local market. If I'm to kind of sex it up, so to speak, and give you some names just because people always want the big names, <laughs> then... Be Hagar. sexy, man. Come on. I, I know you've got it in you. Please be sexy. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, actually. <laughs> Me and sexy don't really go together. But transfer markets and Saudi <laughs> signings and sexy might go together. So Naya Fagard, West Ham, Fabrizio already touched upon him. I'm told that West Ham don't really want to sell. I think El Nenny at Arsenal is a possible Saudi target. Within the local market, Bobby Firmino is an interesting one because he's not playing at Al Ali. And I'm told that 
from the Saudi dealmakers' side, they'd rather keep him optics-wise in Saudi until the end of the season. Then Firmino might leave. So a loan could be a possibility. Steven Gerrard's Alitifak are a genuine contender, but only coming back to that budgetary point if Al-Ali pay basically 100% of the wages. And if not, that won't be feasible. Al-Shabaab and even Slaven Bilic's Al-Fata have looked but it's all about Firmino and because there's a break now, he'll assess. And it may be that he pushes to either stay at Al-Ali until the end of the season or go elsewhere. It wouldn't remotely surprise me if there's some MLS interest in Firmino. And we know that Turkey as well have looked at Firmino in the past. So that could be for January. But I sense if he is to exit Saudi, he might have to wait until the summer. And then the usual names, we've spoken about them before, like Kevin De Bruyne and Mo Salah, they'll have to wait until the summer as well. Son is a distant possibility. He's dismissed the links, but when they were dismissed, people were focused on last summer. And I was always told that Son was only going to be a concrete target for summer 2024. So that might be one to watch, but it remains to be seen whether Son is open to the move. But again, key thing to reiterate, clubs have spent their budget. They've got full quotas. And that may therefore lead to quite a quiet January in Saudi Arabia. Fair dues. It's not going to be a quiet January for Sam Matterface. It's FA Cup week. He's busy. Sam is, of course, the voice of ITV Football and also Talk Sport. And we caught up with uh, Sam a little bit earlier. Sam, we know that Sir Jim Ratcliffe is having meetings at Manchester United now. What do you think his impact will be and where do they need to improve if they're to succeed and get further up the table, which clearly <laughs> they need to do? Uh, they need to improve in every single aspect, of not only on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. And that's a, a massive sort of facet uh, that he's got to look into straight away. And that is how to get the processes and the strategy right. There's no point in talking about you know, Manchester United turning a corner or Manchester United doing this. There's got to be some short-term uplift. There needs to be short-term uplift. There's no doubt about that. Otherwise, Eric Ten Hag is going to find himself in a serious predicament. But I do think that this has got to be about long-term success rather than just, you know, you know the short-term feels. Everyone will talk about Eric Ten Hag and his future. I think unless he has a, a real sort of dip during January and February, there is not much point in replacing him until they know how they're going to go forward as a football club. There's loads of stories that have come out there about people being recruited from other clubs and then get into the building, they start talking to him and they went, hold on a second, I know you did that at Sunderland, but you don't do that here. And it's almost like, well, actually, do you know what? Sometimes you have to look at other clubs and see how they behave. Chelsea, on the other hand, a very different project, a younger project. They're 18 months in. Heading into 2024, are we seeing a glimmer of hope? How do you assess that project? Well, the project has been, um, well, it's been difficult. It's been difficult because Chelsea just two and a half years ago were champions of Europe. So to see Chelsea now fighting to stay in the top half of the table is, is difficult to take, I think, bearing in mind they had the basis of a good squad in the first place. I know the wage bill was high. Um, and I know that one of the priorities, even of a previous regime, was to try and bring that down before uh, eventually that came to an end and the new crop came in. Look, I don't think it's been smooth. I don't think we can argue that it has been. There's been a lot of mistakes that have been made. Um, I think that, that the heritage of Chelsea has never has never been able to develop. There's been a lot of young players that have come through the academy that have gone on to be brilliant 
footballers. There's been a lot of players that have come through that club that have gone on to be world beaters that they haven't kept hold of. And I'm not just talking in this current era. I'm talking about Mohamed Salah. I'm talking about Kevin De Bruyne. You know, players that Chelsea had in the building that allowed to leave and didn't build on on their initial good recruitment. I was talking to Adam Lallana the other week and he was suggesting that that one of the successes at Brighton is to to be able to scout good young players and bring them into the football club at a a really young age and and sort of nurse them through their potential stage. Um, But do so by also acquiring some older heads who have absolutely no resale value. There's, you know, Danny Welbeck, you're not going to get any money back for him. You're not going to get any money back for James Milner, who I think is 49 now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they honestly, you know, those three players, Lalana, Welbeck, and, and, and James Milner, make such a difference because they add in moments of panic a little bit of composure. And they had so much experience. They pass on advice. I was talking to James Milner last night and he was saying, you know, my job is on the field. I have to concentrate on doing my job on the field. But I have so many responsibilities off the field, talking to players, nurturing the young players and trying to steer them away from the things that I did wrong when I when I was younger. So, you know, and, and I think that's, that's something that Chelsea are lacking a little bit. And even some of the older players are not entirely comfortable in their own skin. So they're not, you know, it, 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 it's... There's still work to do there. But I do think, you know, they're they're in better shape now than they were at the beginning of the season. I just, I desperately hope they don't sell Conor Gallagher. But they do have in in Cole Palmer, again, one of those youngsters that's very, very special. Perhaps the signing of the summer? Signing of the summer for Chelsea, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, there'll be arguments amongst all sorts of different clubs about who is the most uh, impressive signing from, from from the August transfer window. But, you know, he's, he, he, his level of skill on the ball, his composure on the ball, he seems to slow the game down and speed it up when necessary. He he looks like a big character in a young man's body. He's still only very, very young, yet he has uh, taken games by the scruff of the neck for Chelsea. He was excellent in that 4-4 draw with Manchester City. He's got a terrific goal at Luton at the weekend where, you know, he showed great composure and no little skill to to beat Thomas Kaminsky and then tuck the ball in with his, his wrong foot in effect. Um, so I've, I've got a huge amount of respect for him. He's been, he's been a superstar for Chelsea up until this point. So I think that they, they've got to build around him. They've got to utilize his talents. They've got to, they've got to make the most of him because he is, uh, he is a proper gem. We mentioned Cole Palmer, Sam, and I think Gareth Southgate's got a very interesting decision to make there ahead of Euro 2024. Madison injured coming back he I'm biased of course as a Leicester fan would have been my signing of the summer but injury has kind of curtailed his numbers but that's another person in the mix who didn't play regularly because he had that knee injury heading into the last World Cup and then of course you've got Aaron Ramsdale not playing at Arsenal you've got Calvin Phillips looking for game time at Manchester City what's your kind of read ahead of the Euros who from those names do you think will definitely go? And are there any other surprise names you think are worthy of inclusion? Goalies are different, aren't they? I, I do think there's different rules for goalkeepers. And I think sometimes that if you're not playing, I, they, they trust Aaron Ramsdale. They like Aaron Ramsdale. He's got a terrific personality. I don't know if you've ever met him, but he is a uh, he's a very sort of uh, valiant character and he's brilliant round the camp. I know that sounds like, yeah, Roy Keane will go crazy just hearing that. Uh, but, um, but but that blend that is important. You're not going to use your third choice goalkeeper. I think you know unless there is a serious 
turn of bad fortune. You're not going to use your third place goalkeeper. So you can be a little bit riskier with your pick there. So I wouldn't worry too much about Aaron Ramsdale going, especially with Nick Pope being out so long injured, having that shoulder problem again, which is going to be a bit of an issue for him, although he has been very influential for, for Newcastle. Um, but the key ones are, I suppose, in, in that sort of defensive area and where Calvin Phillips plays, because Calvin Phillips um, has has not ever let England down. He's been a great servant for England, but he's got to be playing regular football if he wants to play at European Championships. And that's an area of the field where England don't have too many bodies. You know, that that, that, that centre of defence and that centre of midfield, that deeper line midfield area is tricky. Jordan Henderson's been playing there, but let's be clear. Jordan Henderson is, is towards the end of his international career and he's not playing in what you would describe as one of the big six leagues in the world at this moment in time, with all due respect. And it may well be that the Saudi Arabia League gets to where it wants to be, but at this moment in time, it isn't. He's not playing in in top European competitions, which again, by the way, is something that Gareth really holds quite a lot of stock by. But the other thing he holds a lot of stock by is personality. And Jordan Henderson has got leadership qualities. And if you go into that dressing room, there isn't too many of them that are vocal and loud and cajoling. And you need those, you need those voices. And unless someone is going to come along, which is another reason why I think Ramsdale will make it, because he is one of those voices. If you've got someone else who's going to come along and, and stamp their authority on, on that, then I, I can see Henderson still going to the European Championships. It's difficult because you've only got 23, but you've got to get that, that dressing room atmosphere right. And you need some talkers. And there's not too many talkers in that dressing room. Phillips, I think, is taking a risk, whatever he does next. But he's got to take a risk if he wants to get uh, into the squad. There's talk about Juventus. I don't think that him going to Juventus would be a great fit because he doesn't know the league. He doesn't speak the language. I can imagine that it will be, um, there'll need to be an adaptation period. I just don't think he's got the time and he's got to play. I would think Newcastle is a better option for him but he'll have to be up to physical speed in order to be able to play an Eddie Howe team. So that seems the best option to me. But I think he's, whatever happens, he's got to work incredibly hard to ensure that he's playing week in, week out. If he does that, he's a great shout for the Euros and I'm sure he'll be involved. I think, uh, you know, outside picks, if you're asking me for, for players who I think might might just sneak in, well... There's a lot of talk about Ross Barkley at this moment in time because of his impressive performances for Luton. I think that's a bit far-fetched. He's played very well and he's been excellent for them, but I think that's probably a bit of a push, isn't it? I really like Rico Lewis. I think he's a terrific player. If he can stay fit and he can play more games for Manchester City. If you're playing for Manchester City, you can play for England. Sorry, Manchester City, one of the best teams, if not the best team, well, officially the best team in the world now. If you play games for them in the Champions League, you play for England. There's no doubt about it. You've got Jude Bellingham, you've got Rico Lewis, young players that are coming through that have got big personalities and are able to ha- handle the limelight. Yeah, I- I'd fancy that um, him to get into the squad, I think, as well. I think that'd be impressive. Sam, thank you very much indeed for your time. We know you've got a busy week. FA Cup third round coming. Plenty of work for you on TalkSport and ITV Sports. So we appreciate you coming on the debrief and uh, we'll speak to you later on in the year. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Great to hear from um, Sam Matterface. 
Uh, Zor's got something to say. Great voice. And uh, we now, I, I suppose, let's let's um, let's go to our, our our viewers, our listeners, and throw in some questions, uh, you guys. If uh, if I can put you on the spot with a few of these, um, let's start with you, Tom Patrick Morrison, asking this question: Any MLS talent rumored to be making the jump to Europe's top five? This is good timing for this question. I'm I'm actually writing the story as we speak, so I've been making a lot of phone calls in the last you know 48 hours on this one. Um, it it depends on what's most likely and what what's kind of most not likely. Thiago Almada, whether it's this winter, probably not because of how uh, expensive it'd be, or the summer. Atlanta United are looking for 30 million dollars, something around there, easily would something that eclipses the MLS outbound transfer record of. Miguel Marone, which was $27 million to Newcastle. Uh, Tiago Amad is a World Cup winner. He's been excellent in MLS, uh, MVP final, player of the year finalist, to use uh, more British parlance. Um, and he's definitely the, the biggest name. That That's where you have to start with, with this kind of question. Uh, Noel Buck is a, is a young rising player who will be in Europe sooner rather than later. It's just whether it's going to be this winter or within the next 12 months. He's playing very regularly at New England. He's, he's a key starter. He's broken into the England U19 national team. And you look at, at kind of some of the other midfielders that, that he's playing with with England, you know, Kobe Mino, uh, Mino, sorry, <laughs> Manchester United, uh, Joe Bellingham, Sunderland, all, all these players, like he's aligned with these guys. These are his colleagues. That's another player to watch. Uh, Brandon Vasquez, the center forward for FC Cincinnati in the U.S. national team. CF Monterey in Mexico are pushing really, really hard to sign him because he's got a Mexican nationality as well. Um, there's been Bruce Mush and Gladbach really wanted him in the summer. There's been teams like Cadiz, Middlesbrough, um, and, and Brentford have been linked with him. I'm curious to see where that one goes. I know that Van Vasquez is ready to uh, kind of make the leap to Europe. And another name that I think that we're going to talk about in, in another question would be Brand, uh, would uh, be Duncan McGuire, the Orlando City center forward. But I'll, I'll wait until we get to that. Ben, on to you. Can you deal um, with a Liverpool uh, question uh, from Hot Shit HOV? Uh, who <laughs> is Liverpool signing? Usernames. They will always trip us up. <laughs> That exactly. much I know. I'll come I, on to Liverpool. I think we can say it. I'll come on to Liverpool in a moment. I just wanted to ask Tom something briefly, and it may be that you don't know a great deal about anything ongoing. But obviously, when we're talking about Americans coming to Europe, we should also mention the women's game as well. And there's a real feeling talking to sources, certainly at mine, that in the back end of last year, Emily Fox was in advanced talks to join Arsenal. We know that Emma Hayes has gone the other way, by the mm -hmm. way, to the US women's national team. And then in addition to that, a big signing that has already been announced is Christy Muis, who yeah. has moved to West Ham United. So I don't know how much sort of information you've got or how much of a focus you spend on the NWSL. We know about Meg Linehan at The yep. Athletic, who's excellent and always deserves a shout out for her hard work. But just before I come on to Liverpool, I wonder whether you feel, Tom, that it's going to be more of the same or if you've got any insight on the women's side. Because during the pandemic, we sort of saw a boom because the calendar allowed for mm -hmm. these temporary moves from box office NWSL stars. Then it died down. And now maybe there's just a sense that it's picking up again. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, Rose Lavelle was was a, in a national team star who was out of contract. I was curious to see where, if she was going to make the jump to Europe because of the uh, greater investment that's coming into the women's game in Europe. Um, it, it's just like any other market, really, right? Like money's going to go a long way. So she was going to be one of the prized kind of 
um, signings on the market. She ended up staying in NWSL in America with, with the reigning champions, Gotham FC, the, the team that's local to me. Um, I think that's a super exciting move. But but yeah, like it is a good point that there was kind of this this flood of temporary moves and, and Rose Lavelle was one of the players um, that went to Manchester City uh, from the NWSL just because of that timing. Um, I think it's only going to be more and more. The competition is very, very good. It, it, it's continuing to get better and bigger. And NWSL teams are going to have to step up their investment if they don't want to lose all of these players. Like they used to be the destination, the premier destination in the women's game, if I'm not speaking out of turn, if I, if I have that correctly. Um, and it's now they have bigger competition to hold on to some of these stars. So, yeah, that's definitely something to watch over the next 12 to 24 months. But Meg Linehan is absolutely the authority on this. And I defer to her. Ben, get back to Liverpool then and, and tell us what's going on there because there are a few questions. Yeah, I think with Liverpool, we have to be cautious because they're shrewd and they're full of surprises. And often with Liverpool, it's more about names that they're not going for, that get caught up in the sort of media landscape. And then they'll surprise us with one. And that's the sort of secrecy of their model. And I always hold my hands up because you make sources and I've got good contacts at Liverpool, but you have to respect sources as well. And sometimes you have a source that it's either all off record or they're just not going to tell you anything. And Liverpool purposefully keep their business secret and sometimes deflect. And then as they did with Cody Gakpo, when everyone said Manchester United and it was Liverpool, as they did with Alexis McAllister, where they got him at a steal, as they did with Ryan Gravenberch, mm. they're calm. And I think Liverpool deserve credit for that because the whole last summer was about how Liverpool missed out on Bellingham, how Liverpool missed out on Caicedo, how Liverpool missed out on Lavia. Well, they got Alexis McAllister for 35 million. They got Endo, who's warming to the fan base with every game. They got Dominic Soboslai, who has hit the ground running. And it's unfortunate, the injury, but by the same token, he's been brilliant. And they got Gravenberch, who was a target before he joined Bayern Munich, who they end eventually ended up signing him from. So Liverpool deserve credit for going about their business quietly. What I can tell you is that links with Jawa Polinia at Fulham are wide of the mark. As I reported a few weeks ago, they're no longer in for Andre at Fluminense. And Fulham's an interesting one there because Fulham have a kind of verbal agreement in principle with the player. But many in the industry are telling me that maybe financially, Fulham are going to have to sell Paulinia, even though they don't want to do that, to really move for Andre. Otherwise, it's like 50-50. But if Paulinia was to go, then there's a strong possibility that Fulham do complete that Andre deal. So we'll have to wait and see there. And Hincape at Leverkusen, another player that Liverpool are not in for, can't really get as many minutes suddenly at Leverkusen who are flying. And Liverpool do want a centre-back, but they're not in Fehen Cape either. So those are kind of the names to rule out. I think there is admiration for Kimmich, but I'm not sure that he will leave. And I also think that it's not necessarily going to be a January one. And I think that we still need to keep an eye on Liverpool and other left-sided centre-backs because they really wanted Levi Colwell. It wasn't possible last summer, but that is still an area where they'd like to strengthen. But I think that this will be quite a quiet window for Liverpool. And then I think in the summer, we'll again see them do some smart business and as importantly, some early business. Yeah, so that, that question has just popped up um, for you, Ben. Ridwan uh, Oladeli, that's saying, you know, any news on Liverpool's situation for a centre-back signing... Uh, n let's not hold your breath and look more towards the summer. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, there will be targets available and when they're opportunistic and they're the right profile and value, then Liverpool will move. But there's nothing really in Liverpool's mindset or model that is panic. And they will take their time. And if the right centre-back becomes available, then they potentially will move. But there's a lot of faith, for example, in obviously Ibrahima Kanate, Jarrell Quanza as well. You've got Joe Gomez. It's obviously unfortunate that Joel Matip is injured. But I think that there's just going to be a delay in Liverpool moving simply because they don't want to make the wrong decision. And sometimes they get accused of making the wrong decision. As I said before, the wrong decision not going for Bellingham, the wrong decision not somehow forcing Caicedo through, the wrong decision not getting Lavia early and opening the door to Chelsea. But look at all the right. Liverpool are top of the table. They've done their midfield revamp. Most of the time when they encounter criticism, over time, their decisions are justified. And this is why I think they're going to wait. I think that co Atacora might be one to watch in 2024 for Liverpool. They've certainly scouted the player, as have Tottenham as well. But that's a good example, again, of a player that has a release clause, but it's not going to be valid until the summer. So if Liverpool want to move, they've either got to find a structure that works now or they've got to be patient. And of course, release clauses, so often, they're not triggered anyway. They're used as a yardstick for valuation or you negotiate around the vague number and try and get a more preferential structure. So I just don't see Liverpool being particularly active. And should the right opportunity come about, they might surprise us. But I still think a lot of this need for Liverpool defensively and maybe for goals and creativity, depending on what happens with Salah in the summer and Saudi Arabia, will come in the months that follow rather than in the next three weeks. Well, let's round this up with with your thoughts, guys, on on what will be the the biggest story. Might be the biggest story of the window, or a big story. I, I mean, for me, one of the big stories of the window is that Tom Bogart has has started a new <laughs> YouTube channel. I mean, I mean that's that's big news over here. It's already come across the pond. We know about it. Yeah, feel, it feels uncomfortable. I, I feel like I don't want to look in the mirror or look at this thing. It's just just with uh, you know being super self serious and starting starting YouTube. But self titling a video didn't didn't make me feel great. I feel like I'm taking myself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll never do that, Con. Sure, but give us a big big give us a big news story or something that that, that but either of you that that may be you know significant during this window. I, I, I can go because I'll, I'll tee you up because I, I think that the wider interest is going to be in Liverpool and Mbappe and everything that you're going to say. So I'll start with some of the bigger MLS news. Um, I would watch the LA Galaxy and Chicago Fire. They both have several open key spots and they're going to invest heavily. Like the Galaxy had like a $12.5 million bid for a rising ta- a Paraguay international Ramon Sosa in, in Argentina. Um, and that's kind of the, the model they're going for. These are going to be kind of significant bids. The, the MLS inbound transfer record is like 16 million us um i believe that chicago might break it they they have the money if the right target and the right player is available to break that record i don't know if they're going to it depends on getting a deal done or not but these are two teams that are going to be taking looking to take very big swings this offseason and those are two to watch and for you ben what what's going to be standing out for you well, I think the standout thing might actually be the quietness of the window across the board, which sounds a bit boring if we're talking about 
surprise moves, then we know Chelsea are one to watch. So I don't think a pre-agreement for Victor Oseman can be entirely ruled out just because that's Chelsea's strategy to try and get ahead of the market. And we know that they did that with Christopher and Kunku. But I still think that Oseman will be a summer story. And if you're Oseman, you have to think about when's the right time to make the decision. Unless he's sold on one option and it's not advanced enough to be at that point, players also like to wait. And they like to see what a club has for the next season, how stable a project is. Does the manager stay? And with Pochettino, there's going to be this appraisal almost, which was pre-planned when he joined, at the halfway point of the guaranteed part of his contract. And then Chelsea will determine how the project is going and that will lead into their summer recruitment. But Pochettino doesn't, I understand anyway, even though we see some reports to the contrary, have this sort of enhanced power. He's an important voice to input within a collective team of recruitment voices led by Paul Winstanley and Lawrence Stewart. And because of that, Chelsea's model will function as normal, which means they might surprise us with a Brazilian signing. They might surprise us with a young signing. And in addition to that, we know they want an elite striker, but is it January or is it summer 2024? I think the jury's out at the moment. I think that Sergio Geraci, more broadly, is one to watch because there's a sort of bargain release clause there. And we'll wait and see whether anyone is tempted by that. I think Andre Santos is interesting because he'll be loaned somewhere in likelihood. He's just returned from Nottingham Forest in the last few hours. Forest have made that official during this live show. And there's Premier League clubs and Championship clubs. Newcastle have had a historical interest. But the challenge with Newcastle is that, first of all, Chelsea need to be sure he's going to get minutes. And second of all, it's a 4-3-3. Um, Bruno and Joe Linton are two of those if they're fit because Joe Linton's not playing in a more advanced position this season. And then you've got Sean Longstaff, you've got Elliot Anderson, you've got Lewis Miley. So immediately, if you're pitching that to Chelsea and they have had a historical interest, Chelsea are probably saying, where's he going to play and how often? Crystal Palace are interested, but there's championship clubs as well. I think Ipswich might be one to watch. I think that Leeds are still in the market because they ultimately, even though they have made some sort of replacements, they've lost Weston McKenney and there might be a window of opportunity there. So don't be surprised if we see some movement with Santos and championship clubs or maybe a Premier League club if they can guarantee the minutes. And then Conor Gallagher is still going to be one to watch. The expectation is the player wants to stay, the manager wants to keep him. But obviously, if the right offer, and that might be a total package of 55, 60 million, bottom end, 45 million guaranteed, but with bonuses as well. If the right kind of package comes in from a suitor, Chelsea might have to strongly consider that as well. So there's kind of plenty of stories and plenty of talking points. But I think those heading into the window thinking, Oseman will move and Nketiah will leave Arsenal and that Tony will join Arsenal or somebody and that Phillips will absolutely definitely go, even though that one is maybe likely on a loan. There's nothing kind of agreed yet. There's stumbling blocks there. Anyone waiting for all these big names, big stories might actually be a little bit disappointed this January. Uh, well, that answers a lot of the Chelsea questions and all the other ones that we've uh, had come in today. Thank you all for those. Tom, it's great to see you um, as ever. And thanks for giving us the um, all the gossip from the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, we, we would welcome you back later on in the year uh, before we round up the debrief this season. Tom, what's the page link as well? At Tom Bogart on YouTube. 
there you go. Uh, get onto Tom's uh, own YouTube channel at Tom Bogart at, at YouTube. So it's it's pretty easy. Uh, go find him there. All the information that you need if you're listening stateside or are interested in the MLS and the like. Um, ben, thanks indeed for com your company. I look forward to seeing you and your jumper next week. <laughs> jumper might be done, you know. It's getting really? a bit too far into the new year. I might be going dark and bland like yourself as we talk about the gloom <laughs> at Manchester United next week and whether Sir Jim Ratcliffe can lift it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put my black armband on then as well, just to go with it. Uh, to you, Ben, thanks very much. As ever, thanks to Fabrizio Romano. He is with us every week. Uh, my thanks also to Sam Matterface. We're back next week on The Debrief. Thanks for listening and watching. Money.